Hello and welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to my counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. I am your host, Brian Fletter. You can follow this podcast on its Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Instagram at counter underscore thought, and on Twitter at counter underscore podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Counterthought, where we try to figure out what in the world is going on with the Biden administration. It's been a little more than a week since my last episode. I apologize for that. Life got a little bit busy for me last week. Had to put an episode on hold. I announced that on Facebook, and if you didn't see that, please go to my Facebook page and like the page, and you'll see me post updates there, um, statuses throughout the week, so on and so forth. Just one more way to keep in touch with me along with Twitter, Instagram, and I even have a Counterthought email address, counterthoughtpodcast at gmail.com. So please check any one of those and let's dive in. So going into last week, which would have been my normal release because I'm averaging about an episode, sometimes two episodes a week, but going into last week after episode 18, which we discussed or I discussed, you know, Biden remorse asking, do you regret your 2020 vote yet for the man? Because nothing he and his administration seem to be doing is working. I was going to shift gears a little bit. But then last week, there were some more details that came out about Afghanistan and some more uh, details that came out about the crises on the southern border and more details regarding inflation. And I just had to stick with this. Uh, scrutinizing again what is going on with the Biden administration. So if you missed the episode last week, episode 18, or I guess a week and a half ago or so, please go and listen. give that a listen. It's about, I think, 40, 45 minutes long. It is one of my longer episodes, but there's just so much material. But go back and listen to episode 18. It is also about the Biden administration and asking the question like, where is the guy that who campaigned? You know, Joe Biden said that he was going to be, have an administration of transparency. He was going to be the man that brought the U.S. back with respect to the world stage. He was going to beat COVID. We're eight months in and none of that has happened. So what is going on with the Biden administration? You know, initially, initially I thought, well, you know, let's, let's go a little bit down a rabbit hole here. People may say conspiracy theory. But I was like, well, maybe some of the things that the Biden administration is doing is on purpose. You know, but so what's the end goal, right? That was the next question. Let's finish the thought. But then more and more things just continue to go wrong. So it's making me now think, well, maybe this isn't just about gaining power by allowing or pushing for certain things to happen within our country. Maybe his administration also just has incompetent people. Which I think, to me, for me, is even worse. I think I would rather have someone operating with an ill intent than someone operating who doesn't know what they're doing. Wouldn't you? I know I would. Again, give me feedback. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the email, any of those. And let me know, would you rather have the leader of the free world, the president of the United States and his administration be making decisions, policy decisions 
based on some evil plan, so to speak, or based on incompetence. Which one would you sleep better with at night? So to pick up where we left off in episode 18, one of the things that I talked about in there was Afghanistan, right? That was the that's the latest debacle. Some pundits are saying within the last 40 years, 50 years of foreign policy. And not only is it a big debacle because of that, but it's a big debacle and failure because of the result. I'm not going to go into the details of, you know, the whole Trump's plan and Biden's plan and when to withdraw and how to withdraw, because the main thing for everyone has been how the withdrawal turned evacuation was handled, the steps that were taken. But once we got out of there, or our military got out of there, what's left behind? Well, going back to last week, uh, Secretary of State Antony Blinken was sitting in front of uh, Congress or a Senate committee answering questions because they're they're Americans that remain in Afghanistan, if you are not aware. There are also special, special immigrant visa holders, SIVs, remaining in Afghanistan, along with green card holders as well. Now, the line that you hear from the Secretary of State is, well, you know, especially with the Americans, everyone, we got out as many people as we could who got to the airport. And our mind, our thought was, we gave people enough time to get to the airport, so if they didn't get to the airport, they must not want to leave. Well, now that 250 to about 500 Americans were remaining, that line seems to be changing a little bit because more and more people are asking questions within the Senate and the House, Republican and Democrat and Independent. First question is, how many people are actually there? Secretary of State can't really give a true answer because you are not required to register with the embassy. All right, so then they're trying to come up with lists from different sources of truth to figure out how many Americans are still left. And going back a week ago, that estimate was 250 to 500 people. And the SIV holders, 10,000 or more. And these special immigrant visa holders are the ones who helped us, such as spies and other positions, Afghan civilians, citizens, that helped our troops in the fight against the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. But Blinken was sitting in front of the Senate committee being asked questions and answering questions. And here's some of the, some of the pieces I pulled out in the more than three hours worth of testimony that I listened to. So Senator Rish, I believe that's how you pronounce his last name, he said that still, and again, that we, we withdrew, our final day there was August 30th, so it's been almost three weeks, I guess two and a half weeks since this, uh, or two weeks by the time um, Blinken was sitting in front of the committee. But Senator Rich said that there was no plan from the State Department detailing how we will evacuate the remaining Americans and SIV holders. Two weeks have already gone by, no plan, no formal plan. And if there is a plan, it has not been shared with the committee. Also, on the day of that testimony, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin declined the committee's invitation to, to speak in front of them and answer questions. So what does that tell you? Is Austin scared? Is he hiding something? We've yet, to, we've yet to know because he hasn't shown up. Video or in person. 
So that remains to be seen. What exactly happened and what can we learn from Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin about the mishaps that occurred or what involvement the Department of Defense has in Afghanistan trying to get the remaining Americans and Afghans out. Secretary Blinken said that the Department of Defense slow-walked background information needed by the State Department to process SIV holders faster. Why is that important? Well, one of the questions going and looking back in retrospect about this whole withdrawal was, okay, if there were more than 60,000 SIVs, why did we only start to see, why did we only start to process them like in July? If we knew the plan was to withdraw when Biden came into office, what did we do for those four, four to five months? Well, it said that the state, that the Department of Defense slow walks in background information. Well, why was that happening? Would love to have Secretary Austin to answer those questions. Figuring out what went wrong, why we couldn't get enough people out in an orderly manner on our timeline with our people surrounding the airport using our airbase before we gave it up. Why did it have to be a rush job? So many questions remain to be answered about that withdrawal, and I hope that Congress does not forget about this and hope the media does not forget about it. Because again, we lost 13 ser- the lives of 13 service members and more than 200 Afghan civilians died that we, from just one car bomb, or one suicide bombing and another car bomb, combined 200 people. And then who knows how many Taliban members have gone around and killed, and who knows the number of Afghan civilians that they have killed, that we do not have any eyes on any details about. Another senator on the committee, Senator Portman, he says that only half of the at-risk Afghans, only half of the at-risk Afghans were evacuated. 30,000 of the 60,000. Only half. So the other half remain? Like I said, those SIV holders helped the American troops in that 20-year war. You think those SIV holders are going to survive the Taliban? Think the Taliban is just going to let them go on their merry way and just live their life in Afghanistan as if they never turned their back on the, on the Afghan people based on the Taliban's view of their role? No, there are, there are already reports and past evidence that shows that the Taliban go door to door looking for these SIV holders, their, quote, traitors, and kill them and do even worse or torture their family members and then kill them or torture them and kill them and torture and do God knows what to their family members. We only got half out. That's what Senator Portman says. But again, why did we only get half out? Because we rushed this. What did we do from, let's say, February? Let's give Biden's administration a month to get settled in the White House. What did we do to get the orderly withdrawal? It looks like we did nothing. Looks like we were more focused, the administration was more focused on the first 100 days that you always hear about, instead of being focused on getting the people out of Afghanistan and working towards the 831 deadline that we gave ourselves. Senator Portman also says that his intel tells him that three quarters of all Afghans that were evacuated, which we evacuated over 120,000 people, and that's what the administration is praising and others are praising, yes, because of the corner we put ourselves in, 
it was incredible that we were able to get that many people out in such a short time frame. But again, it didn't have to be that way. And Senator Portman says that three-quarters of the Afghans that were evacuated do not qualify to be evacuated to the United States. That they are not green card holders. They are not SIV holders. They are not P1 or P2 visa holders. But I thought the word that was coming from Afghanistan and from the State Department was that people were being processed and if they were at the um, Kabul airport and being screened there or making sure they had the right papers there to be able to get onto the aircraft. So what was really going on? If that's true, if three-quarters of the Afghans that were evacuated were not supposed to be evacuated, what kind of checks were going on at the airport? Again, our Marines are not trained to do that, so there's probably uh, control issues going on there, quality control issues. And that goes back even again, same point. It didn't have to be that way. We had six months to get these people out, to get our people out too, but we didn't do it. So now we have all these Afghan civilians sitting in different air bases, some in the United States, some in our uh, allied countries, processing them now, vetting them. But what's going to happen to the ones who don't qualify? Going to send them back to the Taliban? Man, that's getting even more blood on our hands as a country on this administration. But Secretary Blinken, defending himself in the State Department and overall the administration, said that staying longer in Afghanistan would have led to an offensive and cost more lives of our troops. Blinken also said that there was nothing that said staying longer would keep the Taliban at bay or strengthen the Afghan government. Again, saying that's why we needed to get out. There was no benefit to staying longer. More lives would have been lost. Uh, Blinken also clarified that all of the U.S. diplomats that were in Afghanistan are now in Doha, Qatar, and that the State Department says that the humanitarian aid will go to Afghanistan, but not from the, directly from the State Department. Instead, the aid will be provided by NGOs and the U.N. That's been mentioned multiple times that we will, as a country, continue to administer humanitarian aid to the Afghans who remain in Afghanistan and are now under the Taliban rule, particularly women and children who now, under the Taliban's um, Sharia law, can no longer go to school, can no longer do what they've been doing for the last 20 years. A whole generation has come up not knowing what it was once like to live in the Taliban except from the stories of their parents or their grandparents. And now this current generation and those coming in the, the next generation, unless something changes, especially for the females, they will just be locked inside the house, and if they go outside, they'll have to be escorted by a man. No school, no career, just a housewife. And going back to the length of time that it took to get everybody out, Blinken said that it takes 14, there are 14 steps in the SIV special immigrant visa process. 14. I mean, I have an a very strong interest in process improvements and lean as far as like operational efficiencies and improvements and everything, 14 steps, man. I mean, we, the administration got a late start to process everyone, but man, talk about between a rock and a hard place. You start late and then your process is 14 steps. Man, that just has big government written all over it. There has to be a way to trim that down to get the people processed faster. Secretary Blinken also admitted that he did receive the cable from two dozen diplomats that dissented from the withdrawal 
and that he received that on July 13th. But Blinken says that the withdrawal plan was already underway and that cable basically came too late. He didn't really say if he got the cable earlier with those dissenting opinions, if that would have changed anything. But he is saying that, yes, he received it, but it came too late and the wheels were already in motion. So if you're not familiar, there was a cable from more than two dozen, uh, two dozen diplomats that said we should not withdraw by August 31st. Blinken also said that as of last week, there are, he says, 100 Americans remain and that they, they the State Department, are in contact with them. However, there have only been three commercial flights since the end of August that have had American citizens on them coming back to the United States. Only three. And the number that I've heard is it's only about 30 or so American citizens have been on those flights. So we still have close to 100 to get out. And the SIVs said there could be over 30,000 there, but Blinken himself said he can't give an accurate number as of his testimony last week, and that it would take him up to two weeks to get an accurate count. Two weeks. That'll be one month since the withdrawal. I wonder how many of those SIV holders that still remain in Afghanistan of the original count will still remain two weeks from now with the Taliban knock, knock, knocking on the door. And then one final thing that Blinken did say was that in February 2021, the projected Taliban takeover was one year from then. So February 2022, the Taliban was projected to take over. And then in July 2021, an updated timeline says that the projected Taliban takeover would be by the end of 2021. So the end of December of this year. Well, the Taliban took over and moved within 11 to 15 days, so about two weeks' time. Where was the intelligence on that? If we had the intelligence, why did we not listen to it? These are all questions that remain. So that's one of the biggest screw-ups, especially foreign policy-wise, in the last 40, 50 years. One of the biggest screw-ups, if not the biggest, for the Biden administration. But don't worry. Don't worry, we have more. Again, go back and listen to 18, because some of these you'll hear in episode 18, but touching on them again in this episode. The Biden administration continues to fail on all of their policy measures. Biden promised a revived economy when he took over in office, because again, we were under a self-inflicted shutdown. So the thought was that once we cleared COVID, we would just, you know, open the doors back up and the economy would just take back off. Well, as of the last jobs report, there are still 5 million jobs that remain compared to the number of jobs in February of 2020. Also, this revived economy, instead, we have 5.4% inflation. And inflation was less than 2% when Biden was sworn into office back in January. So in eight months, we've gone from 2% to 54 Touching back real quick on Afghanistan, not only are there the issues with the American citizens that remain and the SIV holders that remain and the, and the at-risk Afghan citizens that remain. But news came out last week on a Friday that the drone strike on August 29th that was seen as a righteous response for the suicide bomb that killed 13 service, U.S. service members, that that drone strike didn't actually kill anyone. No ISIS, well, sorry, the, the drone strike on August 29th did kill 10 people. But General McKenzie of Central Command 
said that their investigation shows that no ISIS-K or any threatening people to the United States were killed. The 10 people that were killed were three adults piling up water into a truck and seven children. So in addition to those 13 U.S. service members and the 200 civilians from the suicide bombing and the car bomb explosion, we have 10 more deaths to add to that, none of them being ISIS-K members or those who want harm to come to the United States. But instead, we can add 10 more lives, 10 more Afghan civilians, and seven of those children to the body count. I mean, I give it respect to Central Command owning up to that. That surprised me. Yes, it was announced on a Friday, which they say is a good way to bury a story, but they owned up to it. It's been a few days since then, and there have been no firings. Where's the accountability? Is anyone going to pay the price for the poor decision-making that was made? Not only for that drone strike, but for the evacuation and the withdrawal itself? It's been two and a half, almost three weeks since the evacuation. No one's been fired that we know of. It's been two days now since the drone strike admittance of that mistake. No one's fired or resigned yet. So is that how it works with this administration? You can do whatever you want and you're just going to keep your job? Where's the accountability? And where are we as the American people? Why are we not calling for these people to resign? Or if we are calling, why are we not calling loud enough? I mean, we're talking about over 215 people died during that evacuation. 13 of our own and seven Afghan children on our own. That's disgraceful. And I saw people on Twitter, which Twitter isn't the best place to find things, but saw people trying to back the Biden administration with that drone strike saying, well, it's funny hearing everyone talk about drone strikes now when you didn't care anything about the previous 20 years of the war. Of course, civilians died. Okay. Yeah. Collateral damage. I understand that. But were there drone strikes where we didn't kill anyone bad? I'm going to go ahead and guess not. I hope not. I wasn't paying too close attention to all of that going on when it was happening over the last 20 years. But I'm paying close attention now. And what I see is 13 dead service members and then 10 more uh, Afghan civilians killed because of our drone and seven being children. That's more than 20 dead. No one's resigned. No one's been fired. Is that just how this is going to go for the next four years? Again, where's that accountability? Another thing that I believe that Biden administration is messing up another failure of theirs is uh, COVID. So Biden said his whole, his whole campaign was about, he was going to be the one to eradicate COVID. Well, that hasn't happened yet. Eight months in, he blames different governors of different States for that. But I have been following COVID pretty closely. And I would say that, yeah, I mean, the way our government's set up, governors have, certain powers that the federal government does not have, the president does not have, but but the president leads the country. And I think there's been a lot of mixed messaging coming from the Biden administration for the whole eight months he's been in office. Mask, don't mask, get vaccine, no mask. Up, you are vaccinated, you need a mask. Up, you don't need a mask when you're outdoors, but you need one indoors. You don't need a mask at all. Okay, 
This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. But yet you're the vaccinated. You, you need to be scared of the unvaccinated. Well, why would I be scared of the unvaccinated if I am vaccinated? Doesn't that defeat the purpose of the vaccine? Yeah, but this is a variant. Okay, but the variant shows that it is still more than 65% effective. The vaccine shows it's still more than 65% effective against the Delta variant. Well, you still need to mask. Okay, well, what studies can you point me to that shows that masking works? Um, okay. Well, let's vaccinate the children for the teacher's sake and, and their parents at home and their grandparents. Again, what study can you show me that masking a child makes a considerable amount of difference in the spreading of the virus? The messaging has been terrible. And then emails showing that teachers' unions have impacted the decision-making and the announcements and the recommendations from the CDC. And also the Biden administration getting out in front of themselves saying, yep, we're going to have boosters. And then the FDA shooting it down saying, no, no, no. No boosters for people 16 and older or between 16 and age 65. If you're over age 65, it looks like boosters are coming, especially for the Pfizer vaccine. Moderna is working on theirs but not between ages 16 and 65. Biden got ahead of that one. Now it's being rolled back. So this messaging has just been terrible from the Biden administration. Inconsistent. They've undermined their themselves with promoting the vaccine, the efficacy of the vaccine. And they wonder why people are hesitant. And then when people are hesitant for legitimate reasons, whether that's health reasons or religious reasons, these individuals are being chastised. And not only that, they're being genericized as, oh, these are all Republicans that are, you know, against the vaccine. Well, that's not true. We know that only about 30% of uh, the black Americans are vaccinated. And I believe less than 50% of Hispanic Americans are vaccinated. I guarantee you all those people are not red state Republicans. So what's going on? It's the messaging. The messaging has been bad this entire, for this entire administration, this entire time, all these eight months. But Biden doesn't accept that. He blames it on the governors. And not on any blue state governors, no, no. Only red state governors. And last time I checked, no red state governor has said to not get the vaccine or to not wear masks. It's been about, it's your freedom of choice. If you want to get vaccinated, get vaccinated. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. So the Biden administration has botched covid and COVID is still active, obviously, so I'm curious to see what other levers they're going to pull to try to force people. I mean, they just recently, as of a week and a half ago, I believe it was, said that every employer who has 100 employees or more needs to require vaccination for employment or have each individual be subject to testing weekly. And if that doesn't happen, you can fire that individual or pass the cost onto them if you do not conduct those tests as the employer to the tune of $14,000 per individual. The screws are being tightened. If, if you've listened to other episodes, I use that term a lot. The federal government is using every screw they can to tighten, to force you to make your life so inconvenient, certain things in your life so inconvenient that you just give in and get vaccinated. Also, this past week related to COVID, uh, monoclonal antibodies, which is a treatment for COVID-19, get monoclonal antibodies injected early, you know, before you would even require hospitalization. It's just, and it is supposed to reduce 
the length of time that you have COVID and the severity of it drastically. Well, the story this past week was that the state of Florida, Governor DeSantis requested a certain amount of antibodies to be delivered to the state. Well, the White House came out and said that, no, no, they're going to distribute this next batch of antibodies equitably with equity. So the example Jensaki gave was Oklahoma gets the same amount as Florida or Florida gets the same amount as Oklahoma. Regardless, if Florida has more cases, it's going to be the same. Well, what sense does that make? And that was proposed at the beginning with the rollout of the vaccine. Because the whole Biden administration and those on the left are all about equity. Equal treatment, right? Prioritizing. It's all about equal treatment, equal outcome. Well, when has that ever made sense when dealing dealing with a pandemic or a contagious disease? Oh, hey. You over there, state of Florida, you have twice as many cases as this state over here, but we're going to give everyone the same amount. Don't worry. It'll all work out. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know that you'll still have 50,000 people untreated while the other state will be completely treated. It's all about equity. You know, that's just what we need to do. Everyone gets fair treatment. We don't want to prioritize anyone over anyone else. Another failure. And then we have the southern border. I barely touched on that in episode 18, but the southern border, that's been going on since January 20th. When Biden was sworn in, the whole world knew that the border was going to be open. Some of the mishaps on the border have been record record migrants coming across, beating numbers over the last 20 to 30 years. This past August found more than 200,000 crossings, which has an increase of more than 300% over the previous year and the highest in the last 20 or more years. Typically, crossings slow down in the summer because it's, you know, Mexico closer to the equator. Got awful hot, over 100 degrees daily, but the crossings keep increasing. And it all started whenever Biden on his first day in office sat down with his executive order pin and took down the Remain in Mexico policy. Took six months, but the Supreme Court finally decided to weigh in and it was determined that that needed to be put back in place. The Biden administration is abiding by that, but they're slow walking it. You know, not ramping up the remain in Mexico, but they're slowly, slowly, slowly enforcing that policy. And then over the weekend and at the beginning of this week are the images and videos of the Haitian migrants that came from Brazil, thousands of them, estimated 10,000, under a bridge in Del Rio, Texas. They're getting flown back to Haiti and other locations, but 10,000 of them sitting under an overpass, coming up with makeshift ways to kind of protect themselves from the sun so that they don't die of heat and sun poisoning. And then on the foreign policy front, you know, Biden said, I think it was his first NATO meeting earlier in the year, that America is back. The United States is back. We will rule with diplomacy. You can count on us now, allies. We are back. Well, since then, since then with the Afghanistan withdrawal, Biden didn't include any of our allies in on that. And our allies were ticked with us. The United Kingdom, France, 
Australia, numerous other countries that had troops there ticked off at us because we didn't include them in. And then this past weekend, there was a nuclear submarine deal going on. And that royally got messed up. And France pulled their diplomat from the United States and from, I believe, Australia because they were so ticked off that they got screwed out of the deal. And then also on the foreign policy front, we our withdrawal from Afghanistan made us look weak. Made us look weak to our allies and to our adversaries. Do you really think China thinks we would step up and act against them if they invaded Taiwan? Does Russia think we would act against them militarily if they over tried to overtake the Ukraine? We don't look back on the foreign stage leading from behind, just like Obama did. So I'll end with this. The Biden administration, policy after policy, is failing and failing and continuing to fail. We're only eight months into this 48-month presidency, and everything it seems like this administration touches is failing. You should be able to look at this objectively and say, wow, these are, these are failures. Take off your partisan glasses and really look at it. Has the southern border improved? No. Has our foreign policy improved? No. Has COVID improved? No. Has our economy improved? No. And what started off to me is, okay, well, maybe it's just some crazy scheme going on here that's doing all this on purpose. It has now evolved for me into parts of a crazy scheme and parts of incompetence. People in over their head. People who are not fit for this job or for their job. They're not fit to serve at the level that they have within this administration. And what they're doing is dangerous to the country, like I said at the beginning. Would you rather have the President of the United States and his administration rule with a crazy evil scheme or would everything fail because of incompetence? I think I would rather have the scheme because at least you can plan against the scheme. You can't plan against incompetence because you don't know what an incompetent person is going to do. Who is running this presidency that's doing such a terrible job? Is it coming directly from Joe Biden? No. Otherwise, he wouldn't say at the end of speeches that he's not allowed to take questions. Is it Susan Rice calling the shots? She's a best friend of the Obamas. Is she strategically put into the administration so that she could be right there next to Joe and, you know, pull the strings? Because lest you forget, Obama in 2015 in a speech uh, to the African nations said that he wishes he could have a third term, but the laws of the United States don't allow it. And then in a December 2020 interview with Stephen Colbert, said that he has, he, he says, I used to joke, but I think he was actively still being real, that he would love a third term, but a perfect scenario would have to come along to where he could have someone be the front person and then him be behind the scenes, pulling the strings, telling that person what to say. Well, who's president today? Joe Biden. Who was Barack Obama's vice president? Joe Biden. How long did it take Joe Biden to decide if he was going to run? A long, long time. How long did it take Obama to come out and endorse Joe Biden? Months. What was Biden's reason? I mean, Obama's reason for not coming out sooner? Because he didn't feel like he needed to. He didn't feel like he needed to. He felt Joe had it all on his own. That he didn't need his help. Well, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to, to question and say, well, maybe that was actually done so that people wouldn't connect Joe with Barack so quickly, so closely, 
in order so Obama could pull those strings and no one would notice. I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, theorist, but from the things Biden has said with not being able to take questions and saying, I'll get in trouble, obviously he's talking to somebody. Obviously someone is speaking for him. But who is that person? We don't know. That was actually asked in that uh, Senate hearing last week of Blinken. Does he know who is running this administration? Does he know or will he not say? Or is someone else a foreign adversary pulling some of these strings? Joe's son Hunter Biden has ties to China and Russia. Do they have leverage over the Bidens? Are they pulling some of these strings? Is that why the Nord Stream 2 pipeline for Russia to Germany got approved? We don't know. And we may never know. We may never know if this these bad decisions are part of an evil scheme, if it's pure incompetence, a mixture of both. But regardless, Joe Biden does not seem to be the one that is running the country as the President of the United States is supposed to be doing from the executive branch. So I want to know, with these failures going on from the Biden administration, who's responsible? Ultimately, the president, but who is really pulling his strings and making these decisions? And when is the Biden administration finally going to get something right? I mean, this is our country that's at stake, domestically and internationally. We have gone from a position of strength to me, a laughingstock. Our adversaries don't fear us. Our allies don't trust us. And we as the American people need to start asking some serious questions of our representatives, our senators, to ask those questions of the White House, to get to the bottom of what is going on with this administration and find out what we can do to fix this mess. All right, that's it for this episode. Remember to subscribe and engage with me on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on Twitter at counter underscore podcast, and on the Counterthought podcast page on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Counterthought.